Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us in the Weekly Standard is Lee Smith. And Lee, more eventful days this week in the Middle East, and in particular, the reaction to the horrific uh, murder of the Jordanian pilot and the decision of Jordan to step up their, uh, their attacks. I gotta say, I've never seen an image before of the head of state wearing his pilot's uniform and a rumor, perhaps even true, that he led the, the attacks you know, in the air uh, in Syria. That's the things I, are I certainly don't, First of all, hi, Michael. It's always nice to, to be here. Um, I'm, you know, it's, it's interesting. I hope it's true um, that King Abdullah is participating. I'm not sure it is, though. I've heard speculation on both sides. I mean, obviously, the, the guy's a real, you know, the guy is a real soldier. I mean, he's part of the Jordanian Special Forces, and he trained at Sandhurst. So, you know, I mean, he, he, he's the real thing. But again, I'm, I'm just not sure if he really is participating at present. And uh, what, what we know today were a, a number of Jordanian sorties on uh, Islamic State targets, I believe, in Syria. Mm. And what's interesting to me, though I love talking to you, uh, is that you look at the Middle East as a chessboard or maybe even a three-dimensional that's, chessboard. That's you are kind nice of the Mr. Today. Spock of the Middle East, actually. <laughs> but, so the chess move I've been, that's been explained to me, and Charles Krauthammer has been expounded for a while, is ISIS wants the Jordanians to come in and show themselves even more so as an ally of the evil West, so that the anti-Western, you know, uh, force, you know, team on the field, the pieces on the board, particularly with uh, you know Iran behind them, would love that, and they'd love to see Jordan come out because then the Jordanian populace, which doesn't share necessarily the king's views, will there'll be another source of foment and another opportunity for anti-Western forces to rise. Is is that the that yeah, the play? It's, it's, it's possible. It's possible. Look, I mean, Jordan is Jordan is a real state, however, with a real army and a real security service. I mean, ISIS certainly has some formidable gains around the region. But let's keep in mind who, who they've been fighting by and large. I mean, they fought Iraqi forces who turned and dropped their arms and left. Um, and, and while the Kurds have fought nobly for Kobani, let, I mean, let, let, let's remember this has been going on. This fight went on for something like six months. So while everyone is talking about what, you know, how, how fantastic the Kurds are as fighters, that may or may not be the case, but this was done with European training and U.S. air power. So, um, you know, ISIS has really not fought a, a formidable opponent right now. And the Jordanian army, let's remember, they put down the Palestinians uh, during, you know, during Black September 1970. I, I, I suspect that the Jordanians are more than capable of withstanding the, te- the real military test of the Islamic State. But as far as social uh, unrest goes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what the Obama administration has effectively done, and this is what the grisly execution of um, of the Jordanian pilot uh, demonstrated is that the Obama administration has effectively enlisted Arab tribes to fight other Arab tribes who are fighting against an Iranian security uh, apparatus around the Middle East. And look, I mean, he's turning the region upside down. This is obviously, we're not talking about Scandinavia here. It's a very volatile region to begin with. However, the amount of instability that uh, this president, uh, this administration has brought to bear on the Middle East is an awful lot. Uh, it's an awful lot. And that's for the sake of overturning a at least a 60, maybe 70-year-old structure, order of the Middle East that the United States has backed, and now the president wants to overturn this and believes that the Iranians will make a better regional partner uh, for the United States than the, you know, than, than the Sunni order of the Middle East. So, 
And that's what I was going to ask you is, uh, you know, using the chess metaphor, and if you believe, as you do, that Iran is on the other side of this board moving their pieces, where does ISIS, I've never been able to figure no, this out. I, actually, I just want to say, I don't think that Iran is on the other side anymore. I think that the United States and Iran <laughs> are, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if it sounds if it sounds facetious, and I know a lot of people have been giving me a hard time, it sounds paranoid. It's not paranoid because I'll make a, I can make a legitimate argument for the president's decision. I think it's not crazy. I think it's not there have been people who have been you know, lighting, up, uh, lighting up Twitter feeds saying the president's actions are treasonous and traitorous, and I think that's shameful to call the president of the United States treasonous or traitorous. Look, he has an idea about the Middle East, which I think is fundamentally wrong, but it's not crazy. What I mean when I say they're on the same side of the chessboard is the president believes that the Iranians will make a better ally uh, in, in order of managing U.S. interest in the Middle East than the Sunnis have. They look at Iran, this administration looks at Iran, sees a real country with a real history, with real political institutions. Even if some of those institutions, like the IRGC, export terrorism, they are nonetheless command and control uh, there are on and off switches that you can talk to the Iranians about, right? If you have a problem with Hezbollah, if you have a problem with the Iraqi special groups, you go to the Iranians and you do a deal with them. With ISIS, with Nusra, it's like you, who do you go to to make a deal if you want to call off these terrorists? And that's, that's a question the administration I want to ask. Sees it. That's and how that's, they see it. I don't so, agree, but that's how they see it. So let me ask this. So what, how does, in, in this game, how does ISIS fit? In other words, whose team are they helping and hurting? Whose pieces are they knocking over? Well, I mean, ISIS is the biggest problem for the Obama administration because the Obama administration, as a, as a colleague said last week, I thought it was a very interesting reading, um, said he sees it, that the Obama administration sees things functionally, not strategically, meaning there are different problems in the region that need to be solved, like uh, counterterrorism, right? This is why ISIS is the main problem, because the idea of a Charlie Hebdo, uh, a Charlie Hebdo incident playing itself out in the streets of Chicago, Boston, New York, any American city is a catastrophe for this president and for the Democrats for the foreseeable future. Right? That's the issue. It's not a strategic picture of the Middle East. It's like looking at Iran and Iran moving towards a nuclear weapons program. The idea is the Iranians are not going to fire on us. We can bear a certain amount of instability in the region. The Iranians actually want to become more and more moderate. They want to re-enter the community of nations. Again, it's how the administration sees it. So for them, the primary threat because it's not just a security threat, it's also a political threat, an immediate political threat, is Islamic State. If some of these guys get loose and they wind up in the United States and wage a terrorist operation here, that's a catastrophe. The administration does not see, in the same way, an Iranian nuclear weapon at some point or, an, or a nuclear breakout at some point as a similar catastrophe. Now, how does uh, Iran view ISIS for their you know, a desire to have this you know sphere sphere of influence across the Middle East with Tehran in the center. Yeah, I mean the way that I like to um, think about it is, look, I, ISIS is a very unseemly and grisly and awful part of what I uh, of what I think of and and call the Sunni rebellion. Look, there's across the Middle East the it's a, across the Arabic speaking Middle East, the majority of people are Sunni Arabs. Uh, including, Sunni, including Sunni Arab tribes, right? And what they are rebelling against is the Iranian-backed order of the region, in Baghdad, central government in Baghdad. Uh, Bashar al-Assad's civil war that has slaughtered at least 200,000 Sunnis right now. 
Lebanon, aside from Beirut, is basically under the same dispensation. Right? We're talking about it's a government that's run by Hezbollah. So this is what Sunnis around the region are rebelling against. ISIS is a part of this. It's a grisly, a grisly and horrible and gruesome part of this, but it's a part of it nonetheless. It's a larger movement. This is what the Iranians are concerned about, much more so than ISIS in particular. They're concerned about the Sunni right. rebellion against, against their order. Uh, now, uh, I've asked you about uh, uh, Jordan and uh, uh, Iran, Syria, ISIS. I haven't asked yet about Israel. I'm very interested in the ongoing fight over Benjamin Netanyahu coming to speak to the Congress. Democrats are saying we're not going to boycott it. We're just not going to show up, which I don't know. I can quite see the difference between the two. This debate, does it have any impact at all in the Middle East? Does it, you know, does it create an opening that the Iranians might want to exploit to political division? It's, uh, uh, make yeah. Israel more perceived as a more vulnerable target because America's not there? Or is this just a tiny right. political story that it's, the Washington yeah, press corps talks right. about? No, it's not a tiny story. It's a big story about uh, it's a big story about the problems that this White House has with uh, with our key Middle East allies. So it's a very big story in that way. It's a big deal. It's it's not a Middle East story, however. Look, the the White House has made very clear over the last five years its feelings about Israel and has done a number of different things to isolate uh, and alienate this particular prime minister. Look, I mean, if you really want to know what 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 uh, what looks like a big story in the Middle East, just to sort of illustrate the differences right now between the White House uh, and um, and the Netanyahu government. Just two weeks ago, I was in Lebanon when it happened, but there was a strike in Kunetra. Remember the three-car convoy right. that included you know Iranian officials as well as six Hezbollah uh, six Hezbollah fighters. The administration is in the middle of what it believes are very um, sensitive negotiations with the Iranians, not just over the nuclear file, but over a general regional, uh, general regional picture, right? And so what the administration is saying is, it's saying it has already recognized in many ways Iranian interests uh, in Iraq, Iranian interest in Syria, Iranian interest in Lebanon. What the Israeli action did was to say, you can do whatever you want. Think of it as BBC at the table in Geneva. Right? He's saying the, Ed, White, the White House can do whatever it wants with the Iranians. We think it's unwise, but we can't tell them what to do. But what we will do is when we see IRGC officials on our borders, we will kill them. Right. So that's the real distinction. It's not the, you know, it's not the, the, the give and take here. Again, it's an important story. It's, important about, it's an important story about two allies. But the real Middle East story, which is playing out very clearly for everyone to see in the region, is precisely that. It's Israel, uh, Israel still perceives the Iranians, as do the Sunni powers, as a real problem, as an adversary. Uh, now, I want to ask you one, one last uh, topic. Ooh. And you know, it's interesting, uh, people who talk about the current state of Islam and the theological inspiration for violence, you know, that, that conversation, I, it really bothers me that conversation has yeah. been left largely to amateurs like me. I mean, it's very, it's very frightening. That, uh, every, you my... know, everyone's an amateur on that conversation. Right. There are about like seven people in the world who are actually theologically or intellectually sure. qualified to discuss it. And I, I, I certainly am not one of them. Well, either. I will say it's one of the most frustrating arguments I get uh, when the 
issue of Islamist-inspired violence comes up as all religions are the same, all religions have the same problem, which is clearly demonstrably not true. Um, and yet I heard that argument made today by the President of the United States who had a meeting with uh, Muslim, uh, quote, leaders, but the White House would not reveal who they were. We were told explicitly that the topic of Islamist-inspired violence would not be the, the sole topic. We'll talk about, quote, extremism of all kind. And the President went so far as to call out Christians and say, you know, Christians, get off your high horse. Look at you. You had slavery and you had Jim Crow. Is that conversation helpful? Does it true, truly do what the White House claims, which is make it easier for our Muslim allies well, to fight with us? Otherwise, they would feel like we were enemies of Islam and they could not I, join I, us to fight yeah, ISIS? No, I, I, I think that everyone in the region, uh, a friend of mine from Lebanon was visiting and and he's working on he's working on these different subjects on extremism. My sense is that most people in the region understand quite clearly that there are uh, there are problems right now in general with different uh, with different ideas uh, in Islam. So I think that people are quite aware of that. Look, what I would say is um, what I would say is the president's rhetoric, this administration's rhetoric, is entirely at odds with reality. If he wants to defend Muslims, then what he should really do is defend Muslims. Right now in Syria, there are more than 200,000 dead Sunni Arabs. The president called for Bashar al-Assad to step down um, nearly three and a half years ago now. Right? And Assad, who is allegedly a secularist, who is allegedly uh, a Western-oriented. This man has been slaughtering Sunni Arabs. He's been slaughtering Muslims for three and a half years. If the president wants to match his actions with rhetoric, why not do something about that? Rafi Hariri, who was the pattern of a moderate Muslim leader, was assassinated nearly 10 years ago now in the streets of Beirut, February 14, 205. Everyone knows who his assassins are, Hezbollah. They were named by the Special Tribunal for Lebanon, they were named. And what are we doing? We're sharing intelligence with Hezbollah. That's where the president's actions are in opposition to his rhetoric. I find it shameful. I find it absolutely shameful that he thinks this rhetoric is valuable when reality on the ground is, is that Muslims are getting slaughtered, people who are our friends, people who are moderates are getting killed, and we're doing nothing about it. Lee Smith, it's always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.